Hello and welcome back to Practicing Human, the podcast where every day we are getting a little better at life. I'm your host, Corey Mascara. How are you all doing today? What do you think of that opening? Every day we're getting a little better at life. I'm playing around with it. There's something about it I like. It's kind of catchy and it feels appropriate for what we're doing. Anyway, I am back here on Long Island. A lot of traveling lately. Was in New York City, then Philly. I'll be here for a couple days, and then I'm off to California. But for now, nice and settled in my home, sitting in my closet with my meditation bells and a half eaten bowl of salad. The glamorous life of a podcaster. And I have to say, I feel like I'm opening every podcast with this, but I am just so grateful for everyone. My heart really feels so full. I just opened up iTunes again, and yesterday I was celebrating because we had 165 five-star reviews. We have over 200 five-star reviews 24 hours later. That's crazy. I don't know where this is all coming from, what you are all doing, but that's... um, <laughs> it. What am I? Get your words out, Corey. I'm just very grateful. And gratitude, you know how each of us have different character strengths or personality qualities that come easy to us. For some of us, it's presence. Others, it might be flow. Others, it might be gratitude. Gratitude was never one that came that easily to me. I My mind was always actually much more future-oriented, so I get very excited about stuff. But when good things happen, I don't actually take too much time to process and appreciate it. And there's something about this, this podcast experience, all the feedback, and seriously, all these reviews um, that's just touching me in a in a significant way. And I'm not just saying that. So, um, so thank you to all of you. And there was one review on iTunes that really caught my attention. Check this out. This is from GriddleMax9000. I like the casual jingle and had it stuck in my head for a drive after listening to an episode this weekend. That's actually a common experience, by the way. And this gave me the thought, what if users could submit their version of your jingle? That might be fun. Hmm, that might be fun, GriddleMax9000. I think you might be onto something. And I'll tell you what, I freaking love that idea. It's unique. It engages the community. We get something different every single day. You might be on to something there. So we will see. The jingle drama does continue. And oh my, does it continue. There is deep love for the jingle. And there is deep hate for the jingle. And when I say hate, I mean there are some people that really hate me singing my jingle. I'm sorry. I I think it's... Uh, I find it very humorous how much people hate it. <laughs> Sorry, not laughing at your anger. We'll get this resolved one day. But GriddleMax9000, thanks for your contribution. Today, let's <laughs> let's just start with the bells, okay? We'll keep it simple. We can all keep our pants on and not get our... T- <laughs> Man, nobody laughs this much on a podcast. This is ridiculous. Corey, pull yourself together. Okay, we have bells. 
You all know how this goes if you've been listening. If you're new, you're probably very confused by what this whole thing is about. But I am going to ring some bells. And your task is just to listen to the sound of the bell from the moment it begins all the way until it dissolves into silence. Even if you're not into bells or not into meditation or anything that seems a little woo-woo, the purpose of this is just to collect our attention, collect our presence, and ground us before we go into a new learning. So, let's start. Wonderful job. Today's session is titled High Focus, Low Strain. High focus, low strain. And this is following along the theme of yesterday's episode, which was following on the theme of the day before that episode, which is exploring what it's like to be engaged in our day-to-day tasks without accumulating all of this extra tension, stress, overwhelm. And I think one of the key areas that we tend to accumulate this tension is when we're trying to focus on something. I'm not quite sure where this developed or why, but it does seem in our culture when we think of focusing, being deeply focused, it's often associated with this fast-paced, highly caffeinated, go, 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 like burrow ourselves into our work, get another sip of coffee, keep going in. And at least when I imagine that in my mind, maybe you have a different experience of it, but it feels very tense to me. And often when I experience it in my own life, it does create a lot of tension. It's like a burst of intensity. And then, you know, I get to relax when I'm done with whatever the thing is that I'm focusing on. And I want to challenge that as the paradigm for how we actually develop focus. Because my experience through meditation, and specifically, uh, the first time I really experienced this in a deep way was in Burma, is that to really develop sustainable, deep concentration and focus, we have to do that from a place of uh, calmness and ease and relaxation. Because the mind naturally collects itself and centers itself when it's at ease, when it's calm, not when it's frenetic and agitated and uh, high energy. That can lead to a certain kind of concentration, but it's often more short-lived and creates more stress in the process. So I'll share a story that first illustrated this to me clearly. And it was in Burma. By the way, you're going to get a lot of stuff in this podcast that says, when I was in Burma, I sound like an old man in his rocking chair, but I pull a lot of um, insights and teachings from that experience because uh, so much came out of it. So when I was in Burma, early in that retreat, I was listening to my teacher's talks. Right, He would give a talk every day for about an hour. <laughs> that was the most instruction we would get. And... Um, Sayadaw Upendita, my teacher, is just known for being one of the most demanding, intense, uh, uh, like austere uh, kind of teachers in the world. He's just renowned for this. And 
you know, if you're going to the monastery, he has very high expectations. You're meditating 14 plus hours a day. He encourages you to cut down your sleep. Um, and he rarely smiles. Uh, although people that know him well have seen him smile more, I hear. But at least in my experience of him, especially in the beginning, uh, it was very intense. And his encouragement was always um, uh, cultivate a uh, a moment-to-moment continuity of awareness, attention, focus, because that leads to deep concentration. And it's that concentration which then allows us to cultivate wisdom, which then allows us to start to free the mind from suffering. More to say about that in future episodes. The main thing to know right now is that this the, the big thing he wanted for us was to cultivate a deep quality of concentration. And he never used words like relaxation or, you know, be relaxed while you're doing or be at ease, don't accumulate tension. It was always like focus on the moment with courageous effort as if your life depended on it. And he was trying to motivate us to practice diligently because it is very easy to be on a retreat and just let the mind wander all over the place. And when you have that many hours to practice, you know, 14 plus hours a day, you can spend a lot of that time just like thinking about everything you're going to do when you're going to get home and what you're going to eat or what you want to do. So he saw a lot of that in his teaching years and developed this style that was just um, uh, a little bit more intense and had expectations of his students. So all to say, right, some people thrive under those conditions. Some people get wound up under those conditions. And I'm not saying this was the best teaching style, but what it did for me was... Um, Early on, I, I took that very seriously. I was like, okay, if this is this is the way to do it. This is a path I'm, I want to, I'm putting in all this time. I want to get it right. And what I found that was very frustrating in the early stages of my meditation practice is that despite how much I wanted to focus, uh, let's say on the breath, if we were doing a sitting meditation, right? Feeling the inhale, feeling the exhale. I would make this really um, strong declaration that, Throughout the next hour of this sitting meditation, I'm going to be fully present for it. But the issue is that my mind would often wander, and I wouldn't even be aware of it wandering. It would just go off, sometimes for minutes at a time, and then I would finally catch like, oh, wow, I'm thinking about butterflies or something. And I was like, oh, come on, Corey, come back to the breath. And um, it made it difficult to cultivate this accumulation of moment-to-moment awareness and focus and concentration because my mind was wandering without me realizing it. So I did, I developed a lot of different strategies throughout that period of time to help me track more quickly when the mind wandered so that I could bring it back to the moment uh, more quickly and more intentionally. And one of the things I used was this visualization strategy. <laughs> now, this is going to sound um, really intense, and it will sound intense, but it's not as intense as it was. Well, maybe it was. I'll let you be the judge. What I would do is, right, so focusing on the breath, I would imagine that there was a string connecting my awareness, so kind of like roughly in my head, even though awareness can be throughout the whole body, but imagining a string from my head all the way down to my belly. And as long as I was aware of the breath, that string would stay connected. Now, attach to the string, this is where it gets, <laughs> where it gets intense, attached to that string was another string that, was, that went through a pulley on the ceiling. And 
hanging from that pulley was a tray. And I would, oh, it's so bad. I would imagine that my family was sitting on this tray and underneath the tray was molten lava. And so if at any point I lost an awareness of my breath, right, the string from my mind, my awareness of the breath, if at any moment that got lost, then the string would snap and they would fall into the molten lava. <laughs> okay, that's really bad. And to my family, if you're listening, I'm very sorry. Um, the reason I did that was because I was trying to focus with great intensity and concentration and I didn't want to lose any moments and I needed to uh, develop a little extra accountability so my mind could actually feel like, no, you you can't get lost on automatic pilot. Like You have to be here. Um, and that, uh, that little visual image like in the background of my awareness was very helpful for me to keep most of my awareness on my breath. Because now I was paying attention literally as if my family's life depended on it. This might all sound very counter to your idea of meditation. And this is not like the kind of meditation I teach. Uh, but So just hold all of it in context. And there's a purpose for me sharing this. So I went through uh, a handful of weeks practicing with that level of intensity. And I carried it with me throughout the entire day when I was doing walking meditation. And I would focus on my right foot, my left foot, right foot, left foot. There was still that string attached to my family in the tray and the molten lava. And, and it was actually incredible, incredible for reducing the, um, the gap between when my mind would wander and me bringing it back to the breath. I mean, I, if, if it wandered, let's just say an automatic pilot, like 50% of the time, like I shrunk that down to 10% or 5%. But what I also noticed throughout those weeks is that I was developing a high degree of tension in my body because to focus like that, I found my face scrunching up. I found my, my body during sitting meditations was buckling over. Um, and I, it was just like really intense focus. And I could keep my focus on the breath, but my breath would get shallow and I'd go <sighs> almost like I was hyperventilating and everything was so that my concentration would stay there and not go anywhere else. And um, after a couple weeks of that, I got completely burnt out. Like I, I couldn't even sit in meditation anymore. I was dreading it. I had all of this, um, like a, a deeper concentration, but it wasn't the concentration that I wanted. It was uh, like an anxious kind of concentration. And it's, it's so hard to describe because part of me was settled. Like concentration does have the quality to settle the mind in a deep way. But simultaneously, there was, um, there was like a resentment toward the practice and a not wanting to do the practice and not wanting to actually be in the moment because I associated with it with so much uh, anxiety, tension, you could say. So um, I, I brought it to my teacher because we get these interviews every few days. And, uh, and this was a different teacher than my main teacher. And he said, so why don't you practice going a little easier? And, and I did. And uh, I didn't need his instruction on that, actually, because uh, it was very clear to me, this is not going to be sustainable. And this is not the quality of concentration I want. And I, um, 
I talked to one of my monk friends there, right? We can't talk very often. So when you do get to talk, you make it useful. And he had been a monk for a very long period of time at a high uh, um, level of practice. And he just told me quickly, he said, he said, the mind naturally collects itself when it's calm, kind of like a still lake. Just let your mind be calm. Let it be centered. And concentration will naturally uh, arise out of that space. So that's what I started to do. I went through my meditation practice uh, really with the intention of being open, at ease, relaxed, and centered. Not a high degree of strain, not with the pulley system with my parents and my family on a tray over the lava. Just, all right, I'm just going to be with this breath in this moment. Just experience this breath. And when I wasn't with the breath, just experiencing this bite of food. When I was walking, just experiencing this footstep. And in the beginning, it was frustrating because uh, my mind wandered much more easily when I didn't have the high degree of accountability um, and uh, consequence of the mind wandering. But every time I noticed it, I would just naturally bring it back, keeping myself at ease, just this breath over and over and over and over. And I would try to generate an experience of uh, joy and um, calmness while I was focusing on the breath so that I was actually luring and enticing uh, my mind to be with the breath rather than forcing it to be with the breath. And even though it took a longer period of time, what eventually happened is concentration just developed organically. I didn't have to force it. My mind uh, as soon as I would sit down to meditate, would be drawn to the breath very organically. When I would be walking, it would be drawn to the foot pressing against the floor. When I would just be being, walking around and being, or sitting and being, my mind just naturally wanted to be there, resting in awareness. And I had this sharp, precise kind of focus, but was totally at ease in the process. And that was the thing that was sustainable. And that's the thing that also led to all of these other great benefits that the meditation practice has uh, offered me over the years. So I want you to start thinking about this in your own life because if you're like most people, it's just very easy to go through the motions and try to develop this high degree of focus when we need to be focused, especially um, you know, if you're raising kids like that requires a high degree of focus. If you're at work and you have a lot of emails and uh, things that you need to do, that requires a degree of focus. Almost every dimension of our life is going to require a degree of concentration and focus. But notice how you're going about that. Is it coming from this highly caffeinated, go, 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 grip, 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 intense focus on the moment? And if it is, when you notice that happening, can you soften? Can you drop into a more relaxed state and see, can I, can I attune myself to what I'm doing right now with a degree of interest and curiosity and let the mind naturally collect itself on the task? You might find in the early stages that that's a little harder. Fatigue might arise. Your mind might wander off a bit. But you might also find that it actually leads to higher degrees of productivity and focus quicker than you think. Because a lot of times when we're in that frenetic kind of state, um, that carries over into our tasks. So let's just say we're working on uh, something on the computer. When the mind is like really agitated and going, 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 
what can happen is we could quickly get bored with what we're doing and then lose awareness and then find ourselves scrolling through Facebook without any like awareness of how that happened. It just like happened very quickly because the mind was moving so fast. When we slow down, when we relax, we're more attuned to when those transitions can happen, when we're on task and when we go off task, and then we can invite it back to being here. So this is not something that I think you'll experience the, the fruit of in one day. I think it's something that we continue to practice throughout our lives. But the main the main argument being that it's most likely not going to be sustainable if you care about your, your well-being, but also if you care about your productivity, to focus with that really high degree of, of tension and intensity. Maybe little spurts of it, but over time, something that's much more sustainable, much more enjoyable, and in my experience, much more efficient and productive is this high-focus, low-strain. I'll give you one task that you can practice today or sometime this week to help you feel into this a little bit more. Take a cup of water, fill it to the brim, all the way to the tippy tippy top, and then hold it in your hand, uh, gripping it with all fingers, not just the top with your two fingers, but the whole hand, whole, whole fingers, and walk back and forth in a room without spilling a drop of water. Now, what this requires is very high focus because if you look somewhere else, the, you're going to spill the water. But simultaneously, it requires an ease in the body. And this is why you hold it with all five fingers, because it's easier to do if you just hold it with two fingers. If you hold it with all five fingers, then the arm has to be relaxed, the hand has to be relaxed, the forearm has to be relaxed. And you have to move back and forth with a quality of grace and ease. You can't get tense. As soon as you get tense and jagged, the water will spill. So this is a little practice I invented for myself uh, in the monastery to help cultivate this quality of high focus, low strain. So try it out yourself and, and see how that helps. Okay, so that's our podcast for today. As always, if you want resources to assist you on this practice and in this podcast, you could text your email address to the number plus one six three one three three seven eight two nine eight. And you'll get a bunch of guided meditations, book recommendations, app recommendations, all stuff to help you on this journey. And I'm not trying to be evangelical with it, but the, the meditation practice is a really powerful way to train your nervous system to be able to drop into that high degree of relaxation and, uh, and also high degree of focus. So again, text your email address 631-337-8298 and you'll get all those resources to your inbox. Great being with you all. Let's uh, let's exit with the bell today. Let's close with the bell. That sounds nicer. When you hear the bell, just let it settle your t attention in a calm and collected way. Thank you all for listening. Have a day, however it will be. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And until then, take care.